and so I've just had people asking nonstop, how do we get, because I have a promo thing of Unusual You. When Circus came out, I think they didn't realize with digital how many places were just promoting it to play on air and everything. Yeah. And so people are like, people are like, how does, does, do the songwriters know? I said, Cassia is probably like most songwriters that are like, oh, I, I heard something. It's like, <laughs> I heard it's out there. Yeah. That was today's guest, Cassia Livingston, who some of you may know as Casey Livingston, and also the writer of Britney Spears' song, Unusual You, which we just played, uh, Amnesia, Scary, Pulse, Vertigo, uh, I can't say this one, I can't say this one, this one you all don't know exists, this, yes, and then, yeah those so (laughs) this is the fun part about this when you get to talk to the songwriters and ask them and talk about all of their work that they've done uh kasi has been an amazing guest and returner for those first-time listeners welcome this is the original doll podcast and i am your host james rodriguez horton this podcast deep dives into songs art and the work of britney spears talking with the songwriters themselves the producers the actual people involved it's also a charitable one So whenever a guest comes on, anytime they answer a question, an item gets donated to charity. So how great is that? You all listening, you're actually taking part in this. For every listen we get in the first 24 hours after each episode, we also get an item donated for charity. So this is great. So you're all helping out. So make sure you tell other people about this. Share. Follow me on Instagram, the.original.doll. On Twitter, at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. So let's let's get to this. Here's an update, and we are going to be talking about Unusual You, Pulse, Vertigo, and some other things. And we have some exclusive content from our friends at BritneySpearsMedia.ru. I'm not going to tell you where it's at or what it is, but you'll know. Um, as well as thank you so much to Hannah Silverman, uh, who has played some music during the episode, which you'll also hear. Uh, so sit back, relax, enjoy. As you listen to the original Doll podcast, Britney Spears, with your host, James Rodriguez Horton. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then follow me? Don't you want to aim for the stars we see? Don't you want my iconography? There's so much money that can change hands that we don't see. Like if somebody buys a collectible item, they could sell it for $1,000 on eBay, but we're not getting a piece of that as the writer. It's just because they bought it at whatever, you know, the the original price was. So, yeah, so I, I think people just don't like, they're not aware that there is income that would happen from an exchange of goods that normally we would get and now we're not getting it because of the change of you know the digital revolution so that's like you're saying education is really important it's why i didn't even know all this stuff (laughs) well and that's why it's been fun to be able to to talk to you to to you know get to know you about your art and everything and also like introduce the listeners to you and talk about songs that you've done with other people. I think many times the thought is you wrote unusual you. That means you're a Britney writer. That's what you did. It's like, no, no, no. You've done a lot of stuff before that. And now we as consumers, it was so hard to find the writing credits on streaming things. Half of the time they didn't even have anything. And Aww. it's it's 
it's gotten better. And in a previous episode, when I talked to Helene Lindvall, like it was, it was shocking. Cause I said, it's like when I get a carton of milk or anything, it tells me the ingredients, where it was made, all that information. When I stream a song on that photo that pops up, why am I not given the credits on there? You know, because yeah. when, when I watch a movie, the credits, everything is playing across. And yes, it's a visual, but when you have streaming, a photo still pops up for that that thing. It isn't just a black screen, you know, if it's yeah. serious or something. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to bring you back on here. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you for coming back to the Original Doll Podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. <laughs> oh, my goodness. You are loved. People love your your songs and everything. And so wanted to give them an update. And so I got a ton of questions and I tried to compile them as close as possible to <laughs> legitimately. There were some that I had to translate in languages that I did not know what they were. Um, wow. So thank you. <laughs> so thank you for that. So I just kind of want to quickly go through this, but I know many people have asked for unusual you. What are, what's like one of your favorite lyrics in that? What is something that you still go, dang, I feel good about that. Because you've got to have those. You've got to have those. It is well-loved. You know, it was on an album that she chose to, you know, she chose to sing it. Britney Spears chose this. And it was on the standard edition. So everyone everywhere got to listen to it. Um, but what lyric um, kind of stands out to you now, even well over a decade later? Mm. Well, that's, that's such a good question. <laughs> I mean, the whole thing, it's still obviously surreal. Like any songs I've had come out on any artist, it's still so surreal to me to think about them like singing my sort of like emotions that I was just venting out, you know, and that that resonated with them too. But thinking about like, I, as much as I, you know, sometimes feel like you know, in certain contexts, people talking about Unusual You have said, like, oh, the song really moves me. And other people have said, like, Britney recorded that. You know, like, they're surprised that it's not particularly yeah. gimmicky or, like, show-offy in, like, a lot of ways where, you know, when she has access to infinite songs she could choose from, you know, it surprises the, some of those people and me, too, that she, like, chose to do that song. But, um... I think the one that probably, I don't know, like I said things in those lyrics that are not really much a part of my like normal conversational like vernacular. It was just such um, raw emotion, but coming out in metaphor about, you know, patterns, you know, patterns are falling. And like, I think I was realizing in the moment about myself that I tend to, you know, we all kind of magnetically draw things to ourselves based on maybe things, lessons we're supposed to learn, you know, on our journey here in the world. And so I'm much more comfortable writing constantly, which I love to do, but not necessarily trying to 
be the one that takes the music out into the world. I'm always afraid of bothering people with my music or making them uncomfortable by trying to play a song for them that maybe they're not interested in for their artist or even at the writing phase, playing a top line for a producer maybe and worrying that they're not, that they don't like it, that they're just being polite. I really have a phobia about putting people in awkward positions. So I think I was learning about myself that I tend to draw people who really like doing that part. Like they like the business and the game of it. Um, I'm far, far left of the center when it comes to like business savvy. And I draw people that are far, far right, that are creative, but that also, you know, like the business part. And that can be a double-edged sword because on the one hand, they're doing the things that maybe I feel a little uncomfortable about. But on the other hand, they're holding a lot of the cards. And, you know, when you've made a little bit of a name Mm -hmm. for yourself in those small circles, obviously people start to realize that you are a force that's generating the music. But before that happens, that person that's sort of like the liaison between you and the industry, that's the person that they affiliate with the song. So when I was talking about the patterns, I think I was realizing that I was had kind of gone through two back-to-back sort of falling outs where, you know, I was in that type of dynamic, just writing and writing. And the other person was sort of more the business liaison and they kind of imploded because, you know, there's a natural, I think, assumption there that because I just love to write that, that I was maybe not, you know, not caring about like splits mm. and things, you know, just different elements where they could kind of like take a little bit more advantage of that and that's usually Mm -hmm. how those relationships go it's kind of symbiotic to a certain extent but where where, when someone's business savvy and aggressive they tend to eventually turn the aggression on to on to you if you're the less aggressive so that's a a long way of saying that I was figuring that out about myself that I keep going into these patterns but then I'm choosing them. It's my fault. Like I'm doing it. And I have to realize like, what are the pros? What are the cons? Is there a way I could be better at this? Or do I need to change? Do I need to start taking more ownership of the business side? Or can I remain my authentic self and just do what I love writing and then have somebody else kind of do? So But the one where I think I really lay that bear is the line about the boxer in the ring. So many things when I'm with someone else. Boxer in the ring trying to defend myself. And the private eye to see what's going on. That's a long gone. It's funny. It's it's a line. I use that line in a song that I had written, you know, 10 years before that, which is one of the first songs I played for anybody in the industry. And then that was part of like helping me get a publishing deal. And I had not really had a lot of drama in my life whatsoever (laughs) at that point. Even my parents, when my parents divorced when I was like one and a half, the lawyer kind of jokingly asked them like, are you sure you guys want to get divorced? Because they were so, it was so amicable. Everybody in my life was kind of non-confrontational, but 10 years later and some time, you know, in the industry sort of under my belt, I started to experience that kind of drama that can come from when there's money at stake, there's personal, you know, feelings about your creative contributions. And so in those relationships that I had, you know, that had kind of imploded, I kind of experienced 
I don't want to say like gaslighting because that sounds like a very intentional, you know, mm-hmm. an, an intentional manipulation. And so I wouldn't say that, but just experienced where I clearly felt that I was, that things were going on that weren't appropriate. And yet the defense of the other person was sort of to put it on, on me and make, and kind of question like, as if I was, you know, and I had experienced a relationship like this before in college, just with a friend where it was a person who was a pathological liar and would say these fantastical things. And I would just kind of, because there was no internet, you couldn't Google and find out uh. if these things were true. And so, you know, I would occasionally just say, well, I really want to believe that, but it's that it's hard, it's hard for me to understand. And the other person would then immediately question my loyalty and friendship. So this is kind of like a professional version mm-hmm. of that where I'm saying, but I, I don't think you're entitled to ask me for this because I've contributed you know, this much to the song or whatever. And it was kind of being, it's, it's a classic defense for people that are trying something that's maybe not entirely okay or appropriate that they just want they they just want uh i'm not trying to be uh vague about it i just don't no (laughs) no 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 you're you're fine you're fine but yeah so you're you're standing there saying like this doesn't seem okay to me and the other person is like you know how dare you look at all the things i've done for you and you're thinking i've also done a lot of things but i'm you know either because i'm a libra or maybe astrology is nonsense i don't know but i tend to (laughs) always want to see the other person's side it drives my husband absolutely crazy but i'm like well maybe this person you know that's attacked us maybe there's you know i i always want to be fair and so um it was really torturous because i would kind of fluctuate from how dare this person do try to do this to have I done something wrong? And so I really felt like that boxer in the ring. And, you know, that was, I don't know, it was just this metaphor. This is a very long answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's great because it's giving, it's giving insight. And what I think is really beautiful about the way you've written and like the, the poetry ultimately that you've written is is that it's something that is so specific to you, but it's so relatable. Those those words, and I I, I think of so many people their their attachment to this song, and I think this these are the words of somebody who was hurt, felt used. That there was there was this tension in there, and I think the subtlety of the sound that Bloodshine Avant created, like this this moment these lyrics have so much depth to them that at first you're like it's this ethereal thing but there's there's really heart in there and there's hurt in it and that's why oh my god no thank you you created this and it's like boxer in the ring trying to defend myself it's just like wow like we are we're fighting these battles you're handling this and when you think about you mentioned like in the private eye, you know, you go through all this and then you hear like, you're so unusual. Didn't anyone tell you you're supposed to, you know, break my heart. I expect you. So why don't you, why haven't you? It's like, you're waiting for the other shoe to drop. There's these other, these, these multifaceted <laughs> things happening. Hey, you're so unusual. Didn't anyone tell you you're supposed 
and and I love it. So I I love this story about it with you, and and the story for us is your truth in this. Mm. And I think that when I've done the research and talked to other songwriters, there is, you know, Britney Spears chooses these, you know, mid-tempo ballads for a reason, you know, that there are these songs that don't seem like that you would find them on a Britney Spears album, but they're on there <laughs> taking up real estate. And you go, there's those moments where we, as the fans of Britney's music go, this is probably one that meant something for her, that it was chosen because she felt it. Yeah. And we always have to thank too, like, I mean, everybody that's kind of getting the song from the people that are, you know, that have, created it to the artists like they always have you know a great radar out for not to make a britney pun uh for 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 songs that you know are maybe slightly left of center you know or so you know like i just realized i probably radar is probably a buzzword but yeah so amazing we we owe such a debt of gratitude all of us writers to the people who put their careers on the line to say I think this might be a good song for this artist to pitch you know they're doing it time and time again it's easy for us to love our songs because we wrote them and if artists recorded them that will be good for us and you know artists obviously are very brave to take a risk to go out on a limb on a song that no one's ever heard before risking that people are might not like it. And they're going to, of course, blame the artist first, you know, where that's where mm-hmm. our anonymity kind of serves us if things don't mm-hmm. go well. And then there's <laughs> all kinds of people behind the scenes that are finding these songs and, you know, it could be like emperor's new clothes where, you know, they think it's a great song and everyone's like, I don't think it's such a great song. Or it might be that they've discovered a hit. Nobody else hears it, you know, the hit potential in it until the artist like puts the song out. And the fact that they can also guess what might be a good match, you know, for an artist and and a song, you know, for their voice. So, um, yeah, it's obviously there's a lot of people that we're indebted (laughs) to for these things happening to us. (laughs) <laughs> well, and the, and the funny thing is for these these listeners that might not have heard the Unusual You or Amnesia episodes, which you kindly did with us, is ultimately, you know, Unusual You bumped Amnesia, you know, out of out of the running. You know, <laughs> Amnesia Amnesia's like just chilling here, ready, like at the table, like the Mad Hatter. And then Unusual You walks in and Amnesia picks up her bags and walks out. It's like, oh my gosh. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's, it's one of those things. And the thing is, those two songs couldn't be more sonically different, you know, they're and they're, yeah, they're, and there's, they're both beloved by listeners. And I think that that's the part that's really fun of going, because so many times people ask me, ask the songwriter why this got picked, why that didn't get picked, why didn't they, you know, why, why didn't Vertigo get put on, like all the, like, what about placement? And I'm like, First of all, a songwriter is trying to, you know, juggle all these different songs at once, not knowing when a project's going to go. Secondly is the politics of it. You know, we talked about um, on Femme Fatale with with other songwriters, which the episodes will be coming up, so I can't say their names. I'll tell you off the record. But, you know, you have you have a thing where if Max Martin and Dr. Luke are at the helm, they're going to put, take the real estate 
up with their own songwriters and their own projects and their own songs that they've been working on. So, which for me, that makes the most sense. If I'm spending the most time on this project, I want to make sure it's my vision of the project, you know, with, yeah. with amnesia and unusual you, it's like, oh my goodness. Like I look at amnesia and just go, you're fantastic here. And I look at unusual you and go, you're fantastic there and go, I would have loved oh. for the US version to have had both of them on there. You know, both of them on there, um, oh. which people can, <laughs> people can still buy the uh, versions that do the physical copies of Circus that have both on there. You can look on different, I'll, I'll post a link with new versions of those uh, that are available. I know that Unusual You was received so well by so many people that reached out to me. And one woman, her quote was, just let her know, I think she's a poet and an angel for us who can't express ourselves. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that lady woke up and said, I'm gonna make a songwriter well up <laughs> at a podcast interview. <laughs> It's, I love it. I love it. I'll, this, I'll keep this video. Um, no, but I think the thing is, so kind of her. <laughs> well, and the thing is, I think what I love is, you know, having had several discussions with you is it's so bizarre to me to go, wait, you did unusual you, you did pulse, you did scary. And, and I keep going through and I'm like, I cannot identify you as the songwriter. Like that is your sound where it's like, if you did a lot of these ethereal, unusual you things, I'm like, Oh, that's gotta be Cassia. And instead you threw scary at me. And I was like, Whoa, I got hit in the face with it. Like, what is this? (laughs) It's weird too. Cause so often we'll write these things that we think like, you know, this is the flashy song that everybody's going to be, you know, all the artists are going to want this song. And then it's some kind of like off kilter, really emotional thing, you know, that gets chosen. So again, it's just a reminder to try to use your authentic voice and stories when you write, because that sometimes has a better chance of resonating with artists i'm not supposed to want to but i do like a die it's turn me into a monster like i'm jekyll and Hyde. well and one thing because i i brought it up uh, already and it's 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 on the internet and people are responding well to it and have for like eight years now as last i looked is vertigo you know and you oh. you had co-written <laughs> vertigo and i had people say where's cassia's vocal version of it like where's where's this one we want that so the question the question that i had from people about that is at what point do you sing the demo versus have another because was nicole morier was she she was a co-songwriter on that yeah well she and she obviously as you know has has done other work uh, with britney She was actually more connected to that project. But yeah, she and Shelly Pikin and I at worked on that song. And both of them can sing. Um, you know, so 
that's usually how it goes for songwriters that well you know, all three of you can sing oh. all three of you can sing oh thanks <laughs> well it's funny because when we were working i'm just wanting to clear up the rumors in your head <laughs> all three of you can sing thank you james that's really sweet i think we like we couldn't have more like different tones too and i you know obviously like like nicole is an artist shelly is a like started out as an artist and has done a record now of her songs she's had so many smash hits for other artists and you know i as i've often said sound a little bit like a weird female michael mcdonald's <laughs> that's just not as good as like not even in the I'm flattering myself, but it it's only like the tone is reminiscent, but none of none of the skill and anything, you know, that he's got going for himself. And, you know, Shelly, especially like when she starts writing, she's like ideas come to her so quickly. Um, and she's comfortable in her skin too. So she, you know, when you're writing, sometimes she can have a lot of ideas. And I'm sort of like, when I'm surrounded by, you know, other melodic ideas and things, I have to kind of find a quiet space to chase my own muse. And so when we started working on it, I had this like breakthrough idea and went off and like demoed a little snippet of it to send to Nicole and Shelly, like, what do you think about this? And it was like the most wordy, complicated thing ever. Um, and yeah, and that, usually when that happens if i'm working with other people who are maybe producers or they don't necessarily write lyric and melody they're like okay this is the song now and they had the good sense to say maybe it should be something catchier i mean they you know they didn't say it in that way but so that part um kind of became it's so kind of like got tweaked around it became like the post chorus but I didn't actually even realize until you told me that that demo was just like existing online. Like I often yep. don't think to look for those things, especially if they haven't really come out on an artist. So I listened and I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't actually even remember like how that demo had come together because it's got different vocalists. The part that stayed in that is sort of like exactly as I wrote it is this kind of like weird, like sharp turn, a pre chorusy part where I just only hear my voice on there. So I'm not really sure, like how it was so long ago. I'm not sure how it all like came together. the recording of it i'm sure shelly remembers because she was she and nicole i'm not like maybe it might have been around the time that i was like about to give birth to my son or something like that so they might have been like we'll handle this demo <laughs> you know we've all had britney moments let's see if we can write something to pitch that way you know again <laughs> and so so then for you because also pulse is in there and pulse is that's a fun that's a fun song and you i feel like you are 
what's missing from dance music that I love, like the house music, the Billy Ray Martin, the everything, but the like that, that voice that is so lush. And I keep going back to ethereal because I can't think of the other word because I'm not a poet um, <laughs> or a writer, but I, I love Pulse, your voice on there because it has this like, this almost effortlessness, but it also is like, it, it's a train that keeps going and I'm like, I'm ready to dance, I'm ready to go. So, Aww, thanks, James. On, so on Pulse, that was the same kind of sessiony era as Scary, because that was also Fraser T. Smith. Yeah, yeah, it, it was before Scary, but yeah, in that same run of of sessions. Yeah. Did you for him? Is that when? Because when I look at some of these, and I know so many people are asking me, do you know if this is a Fraser song? Do you know if this is a, you know, a a Casey song? Is this a Maya Marisa? Like, they're asking me because they're like, can't you just message them? I'm like, I can, but I'm not going to. I'll ask, I'll ask when they're on the podcast. It's an honor for us that they're interested, you know, like these songs that are just demos. Like, it's really nice that they're wanting to know. <laughs> well, and that's the thing. It's like, is is Fraser... Was he the one that you were the most productive with? Because I feel like a lot of these that we talked about are you plus Fraser. Yeah, I mean, honestly, Fraser and I only have like a handful of songs. Like he all good, all good. (laughs) Thanks, James. Um, Yeah, he because he was you know visiting at the time, and so he was kind of like. And he was visiting and really busy with a lot of projects. So he'd be in town and then we'd get like a little bit of time. And then, but then he would continue to send tracks that I would try to top line. And so like was scary, you know, we were, we were never in the same physical space for like any of that. That was just like, you know, waves going back and forth. So um, yeah, but I just, really after meeting him thought he was just such a lovely gentleman you know there's I always am going to root for the person who's soft-spoken and polite and an absolute beast musically like that's always going to be a person that I appreciate and that that's him like he's just um typical British like not hyping of himself and not egotistical and um, I just love that contrast between, you know, with somebody who's not bragging about what they can do, but what they can absolutely do is worthy of bragging. Because sometimes in the industry, you get the opposite where it's like, you know, check out this fire I just created. <laughs> You're like, maybe don't talk about the fire you just created. <laughs> It's a little bit lukewarm. Um, and then, of course, like the minute I judge anybody else's work, I immediately think back <laughs> to infinite terrible songs that I've written. But um, but I... Well, I, I've not heard any of those. I've not heard any of those. <laughs> if you've got the time, I've got the song. So. <laughs> Always got the time. That's the other thing. People are like, have you heard other songs that she's done that, you know, with Britney in mind or anything? And I said, yes. Are you going to share them? Nope. <laughs> they're just like oh no 
I was like, because the thing is, so, well, the thing is, what's great is that you have such a catalog. And what I truly love is you've talked about respecting the producers that, you know, it's not exploiting their, their work. And I talked to um, uh, Lindy Robbins about this with Unbroken, where she was like, yeah, it was a little, it was a little upsetting when the song got leaked. And then after a while we were just like, okay, let it happen. She's like, but it kind of hurts because your time ultimately turns into nothing from there because no one's going to touch that to release it for those songwriter where that's the only way they can make money. Mm. They're not able to make money off of that. And that part. And she goes, but when it's well-received, you know, it's, it's amazing. She goes, and then you think, well, what happens if it would have been officially released? And that's the part I'm like, oh, but to, to the listeners, yes, I have heard a lot and I'm going to continue to hear more because Cassie could just sing to me day in and day out. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, James. What, what so would you, oh, the, the one thing, because I don't want to take up too much more of your time. The one thing I know that I was asked, and trust me, you're going to be on over and over again to the point where you're like, come on, James, really? <laughs> um, I always love talking about this and I'm, I'm an open book too. Like I always want... You know, if like I sometimes I don't, you know, send certain music around because I like you said, I want to respect the producer and that's a lot of their time. And I don't know, like if I'm sharing it, like what will happen if other people have access. But I'm an open book, like people could hear any thing that they want to hear. And if they're curious about the stories, I always want to tell them even, you know, like as they say, all the nitty gritty, just so they understand that, like, it's like everyday stories that are painful or frustrating that go into these songs it just other people put those things into paintings or they use it to like drive themselves and whatever other job that we're they're doing it just so happens that our stories kind of sometimes get out there because we have the storyteller that's you know like an iconic artist maybe like Britney so it's just you know it's the same frustrations that everybody else is is experiencing it's just like kind of comes to the world through a megaphone if an artist like that has recorded it oh but sorry well, you were about to ask me <laughs> oh yeah no no worries no worries well something that was asked by many people and i forgot to ask you last time is you had mentioned before that the uh, like bloodshine avant or the effort the engineer uh had changed the melody that used melodyne to create this sound what was the original do you recall what the original sound or melody of that was? Yeah, it was the pre-chorus in Unusual You. And it's so crazy because I have always had a little bit of a freakish memory for not just my own songs, but songs like demos and things I've heard of other people. But when you get to a point where you've written so many songs and sometimes, and you're more used to hearing like the official version, you're like... It, and when your original idea maybe was a bad idea so you kind of forget it so if I'm remembering right I think like it just was like a tables are turning my heart is soaring da, da, da. it kind of stayed in the same register and their idea was
and it was so much better than what I had originally had. So yeah, I think I just was less creative with the with the melody. <laughs> I I love it. So then let me ask you this though, with with the songs that you've written that you've worked on with Britney, is there one melody that you just are like that I'm super proud of it? Because you're proud of all the the work that you've done. But is there one that stands out you're like, you know what? Pat on the back. I feel good about that. I I always kind of live in that zone of like sometimes being impressed with myself like how did I how did that lyric just come to me and other times feeling like it wasn't really all that great and like oh you hear other songs and you're like oh those melodies are so much more creative or catchy and then too because they're for a lot of the songs that get out there and do well there's an effortless kind of feeling for us because it sort of just comes to us we're like it's like we're channeling it from somewhere else. It might not even be a great song, but it's coming to us on this wave of inspiration. And so it almost doesn't feel fair to take credit for it because we didn't try really hard. It just like poured out of us. We couldn't even like control it. But, you know, amnesia to me feels kind of like a Frankenstein because I was just like freestyling and going crazy. I had that other song called Amnesia. So I was trying to avoid calling it that, but I still felt like I wanted to write like the official amnesia and hadn't quite like cracked the code on it. <laughs> and That's kind of like a noisy train that just doesn't slow down. <laughs> I... <it's> kind of... <laughs> I love, I love it so much. And for those listeners that are like, wait, what is she referring to about two amnesia songs? Go back to the amnesia episode of the original doll podcast and you'll hear about it. Um, it's, it's so, what I love about amnesia is that it's so wordy and it's so fun. And it's got like this throwback, this like, um, I forgot his name. It, it just, not the run. Who's the guy? Yeah, Phil Spector. Like it's got this like Phil Spectery thing that I really, I really like about it, um, and it just makes me happy. So amnesia would be up there. Well, no, I was gonna say that that wasn't You're like was, nope. Kind of like, yeah, it, that one, like I felt like I was kind of like just singing weird things, and then the producer was like, "Oh, that, that, like let's keep that." So it feels a little bit less like architected by me, but you know, if somebody's liking what I'm doing, I never want to be the one to stand in the way of them being able to work on it as is, as they want it to be. So I'm like, okay, but it's, it doesn't feel to me sometimes as well-crafted. You can kind of go on autopilot listening to that song and like, what section are we in? And I think unusual you, I feel more proud of the lyrical thing that's going on I love Blood China Vance like their adjustment of that pre-chorus and also their melodyned harmonies which are infinitely more interesting than anything that I had like stacked on they kind of manipulated the vocals that were there um but I think Scary's melody of the three is more is the most interesting because it's diverse and how you know it's got like a weird like almost full octave jump in the verse Baby, I don't know I'm gonna survive This fatal attraction It's gonna eat me alive I'm not supposed to want you But I do like I die It's turned me into a monster Like I'm Jekyll and Hyde And this like more kind of gritty rhythmic um, pre-chorus I just want your body And I only need a little time 
And so I think that one feels the most interesting to me melodically. And up next, we have some exclusive content from BritneySpearsMedia.ru. Go ahead and follow them on Instagram, BritneySpearsMedia.ru. And I added on some snippets from our previous episode, Deep Diving Into Unusual You, with songwriter Cassia Livingston. Enjoy. Once again, thank you so much, BritneySpearsMedia.ru, for the audio. We appreciate it. And go ahead, follow them on Instagram, Britney Spears Media RU. And in a few weeks, they're going to be releasing even more content. So be on the lookout. Enjoy. Now, for those who were not able to listen to the first episode of Unusual You that we released back in Season 3, here are some snippets and some updates. Enjoy. So I sat there in my car. And I had these tracks and I was like, I'm just going to listen to one of them and see if I get an idea. Again, I never want to waste a producer's time. So often I'm asking for tracks in advance if the producer will be kind enough to give them to me so I can try to generate an idea because I'm shy. And when I'm face to face, I might not come up with that. But in my car, that's probably the place that I will. And so I found this track and Thank God I didn't know that there was another like huge writer that was also working on the same track because I wouldn't have even started. I wouldn't have imagined uh, ever wanting to go head to head with them. And I started and the verse just like poured out of me. It's a love note to Bloodshine Avant and Henrik Jonebeck for their just kind of like taking who they are and what they've done and still supporting someone they've never met this sort of like awkward person and and really focusing on the music and appreciating what someone can do subtracted from all of those other sort of superficial things and it's sort of a discussion about like where I had been and questioning myself and sort of like wondering because it's a very personal relationship when you write with people and you have to have that trust because you're going to very vulnerable places revealing your truth being evaluated constantly for your ideas um and so I had about half of it and then it was time for me to show up to my session I'm never early for any sessions because I'm always so anxious about having to Uh have an idea when I show up so it was very rare for me to get there ahead of time but there was a misconception about the time and about who was going to be there writing with me. And so I started to write the chorus as I walked from my car into Conway Studios. And I passed Chris Brown on my way there. This artist whose vocals I've been emulating forever. And it didn't register until later that that's what happened because the chorus was coming to me in that moment. And I walked in and I was... Not, it was such a low-key, bizarre idea. I thought I was writing like the B-minus version of like 
that song, uh, And I Miss You, like the deserts miss the rain. If you remember that like enormous hit from Everything But the Girl Missing. I've written like, yes, yes. Thank you for remembering that. So I didn't really know. I was almost not even going to sort of show them. Thank, thank goodness. I'm like, what, what was that artist? So yeah, everything but the girl. But I just went out on a limb and I showed them. I was like, I have this idea. And they were so enthusiastic. They were like, we love that. We love that. And I went into another room, like a little room off the kitchen and finished writing and wrote the second verse. Been so many things when I was someone else. Boxer in the ring trying to defend myself. And the private eye to see what's going on. That's long gone. When I'm with you, I And then I recorded it that day, but the pre-chorus melody was different. And they melodined a different melody, which is what it became now. And they added all those really cool overtone harmonies and things, because I stacked vocals, but they're different than what they ended up creating. Like they created this different vocal landscape. So it's amazing because after this whole week of trying to write edgy songs for Britney, this thing that was such a genuine story that I kind of couldn't stop from, you know, like occurring to me and coming out of me was ultimately the thing that resonated with Britney the most. So I'm, it's def definitely a testament to write your truth, you know, write your, write your real story that nobody else can really tell for you, but also a testament to whatever things she was going through that she and her camp felt like this is our ballad or our like sort of slow mid for for this record i i was shocked <laughs> well and that's one of those things where it's like you know you look at it and you go okay i i just put my heart out there it's great and it's one of those things where that could be a great song the producer could like it but then you could also have an artist that's not feeling it and when they sing it you're just not getting it but it seems like this was yeah. the perfect timing that the song found a home and and without Britney even writing on it, it felt so genuine. And when you talked about the the vocal layers, that's something I want to talk about because on here, on Unusual You, like something I've talked about in previous episodes is how, especially songwriters, many times you can hear the songwriters throughout the song. And Britney Spears has made reference of like, you know, I use this reference vocals, I use this. So can you explain to the listeners about how, because I think people think, oh, it should be easy. Britney Spears can do the the main part and then she could do her own harmonies and then she could do this and do that. And it's, there's, there's no, there's they're not saying that there's no artist, but it creates a different sound. So can you explain yeah. to the listeners, because the ballad, it's so touching. And I think the vocals are important because if the vocals distracted, it would have ruined the song. So can you talk to the listeners about how that works? Like, 
why sometimes you have the songwriters that are on there, like where you can hear the vocals and things like that. Yeah, I mean, you know, there are obviously demo vocalists, you know, that get paid to come and sing a song that they didn't write to show the artist how it goes. Like if the songwriters within their, you know, their group feel like there's no one there that can actually execute the vocal you know, the idea is you want to give the feeling for the song. You want to show cool runs and things that you can do, but you don't want to be so intimidating to the vocalist. So you, and that's why my voice has ended up, I think, being sometimes a good contender for demos because I'm not intimidating anybody. I'm just like singing, you know, with passion, but not with a lot of skill, you know. Um, and thank goodness for like all of the studio you know, gear and things that can help a flawed voice like mine be able, you know, it, it enables you to tell the story that you have the passion to tell, but not the skill and kind of alters and makes those things more palatable. But when you're a writer, obviously your goal is for the song to come out and, and be in the world on the artist, whether it's an artist that you are writing with or an artist that you're surprisingly find you know find out that they've picked up your song and they want to record it and so you know it not only that but it's really fun to create a demo vocal and then stack harmonies and things i that's my one of my favorite part of the of the process is that you you know you get to really show your vision coming to life by layering endless backgrounds as many as you want to and some artists obviously like want to do all their own backgrounds and a lot of times those are the artists that actually write everything for themselves or co-write everything but other artists like like my voice is very neutral you can hear it featured very prominently in unusual you both like under the lead and in the background and it kind of creates this soft neutral bed so that a voice that is as signature as Britney Spears can exist kind of on this bed of support and I know that she's capable of doing backgrounds and I'm sure that she has done those on other records where you know I haven't seen it going down but her voice is so recognizable that I think sometimes she isn't chosen to do her own backgrounds because it would be a little crazy making for the listener. Like your ear just goes to her tone when you're hearing it. Mm -hmm. And so I think that's why producers sometimes will either have someone else do backgrounds or it's just to create a different effect, like get some male vo vocals in there, some sort of like robotic sounding, you know, vocals in there just for effect. Um, so it's not necessarily that the artist is like, I can't do these backgrounds or I don't have time. Although Britney's schedule, especially at the time, was like, <laughs> you'd have to clone yourself almost like to, to, you know, prepare to perform and dance and outfits and writing and like childcare, all the things she was juggling. So in that case, they just ended up, as they often do, keeping a lot of the background vocals that were already stacked because it didn't interfere with her ability to have a lead vocal on there kind of shining and standing out. But of course, when I heard it the first time, I like heard a lot of myself in there and I was like, I want to hear more Britney on this. Like, <laughs> I'm, you know, when you're a writer that sometimes things your demos your ear can kind of find your tone even buried in things because you're so familiar with it mm -hmm. so I don't know if other people are having that effect but when I hear it I hear a lot of myself and I always long to hear more of her but I understand now as time has gone by 
why that choice is made. It, it's supporting and like thickening up her tone a bit, you know, so it's, I, I understand why that went down the way it did. And I love that you talked about that neutral bed, because I think that's the point where even in a music video, there are these lights, these, you know, certain lenses and everything to kind of shine and help her shine. And I think people take for granted the audio aspect of it, that if you had a million Britney levels, to your point, your ears like, wait, am I listening to, wait, it's, it, it becomes a little distracting. And there's a lot of Britney's, which we love that. But I also think that's what makes Britney's voice shine when it's in kind of that chorus, but she's right there and amidst all amidst all those voices, you hear her. You hear the reason why she's a recording artist. And with Unusual You, I think if you took it back, I don't think it would be as atmospheric because I always think of Unusual You as this atmosphere, like whether it's this forest that you're just going through of these really creating an experience for you as the listener. And I think you did that and I think you did it well. And so when, when you had this happen, were was, were you ever in the studio with her for this song? Because we'll talk about the other songs. So for the listeners, don't worry, we're going to be talking about some more uh, songs and, and experiences. So were you at all in the, the studio with her for any of this? Did you get to hear the studio version afterwards, you know, after she was done? So, like, I think I got to hear sort of like a working version of her vocal of it, but I wasn't in the studio. And actually, when I saw Bloodshy and Yvonne and Henrik later on, they expressed to me that I think at that point in the recording, a lot of records had she'd already recorded. And so I think there was like a timing element of trying to get it done in time to make it on the record. And I'm not actually, I'm trying to remember now, it's possible that it might've been like a different engineer that actually captured her vocal. And because when they saw me, they apologized. They said, you know, we ended up loving the song so much. And I wish that we had had more time with Britney to like capture even more vocals and do more of because they're vocal producing masters. And so they, you know, they had wanted to have more time. But I think, you know, the producer is limited by the amount of time they have with the artist and the amount of time before the records have to be turned in. How did you feel when you, because so we now know how the story, how the song came to be. Where were you at when you heard that it was going to be on the album? Like, how was this like right away you knew, or was this like, oh, wait, you get a call from a fan that says, hey, by the way, your song is on there? Because that's the way it's been lately. <laughs> so. Yeah. If it's, yeah, if it's released already, it, like if it's a song that's being used for a new thing besides like its original release, sometimes like I think I was telling you, a student told me like, hey, you have a song on Hustlers. And I was like, I do, because it's some, you know, you don't always have to get the songwriter's permission and that's fine with me. I'm so appreciative for the forces that like will create more revenue for me, allow me to do the job I love longer by like making those things happen. But I actually, with Unusual You, I didn't actually get to even finish out recording the record with Bloodshine Avant and, and Henrik Jonebeck because that was the last day that they were in town. They left. I think it was like a Thursday or a Friday, but they asked me to stay. At, they were catching a plane and they asked me to stay. And so I stayed and recorded with a lovely engineer that was there at Conway um, the second verse. 
back the harmonies and everything. I followed their new guideline for how they wanted to um, make the pre-chorus go, which I can't even totally, totally remember. My so I don't know if if they would have cre like credited the engineer at Conway, and I feel terrible because there are two different ones that were recorded vocals with me in and around that time, and I can't remember which one captured which vocal. I don't know if they're even like still working at at Conway um, at this point. But they were very kind to kind of stay after hours. And like I think I mentioned, I was like several months pregnant with my son. And I think um, Chris Brown was still there recording with my friend, songwriter Andre. And that night, I finished recording at like midnight or one, which if anyone who's ever been pregnant knows that you're really tired at that point. And everyone was gathered in the kitchen because I was just recording in a room off the kitchen. And a bunch of engineers had gathered there and they said, I'm so sorry, you can't leave the studio right now. And I was like, what? There had been gunshots in the area. The police had actually like mistakenly been sort of questioning people coming out of Conway because it had been so close to the studio. And so then I happened to bump into Andre Merritt, who knows I was such a huge fan of Chris Brown's vocals. So after the recording of that, I was like in Chris Brown's studio, Andre took me over there, like listening to what he was working on for like an hour or so, because we were basically all trapped there. So it was, I know Chris Brown's very controversial, but I, I love his vocals. And that was before so many things happened uh, with him. And I really appreciated having that chance, but it's like, you know, you're recording this really sweet, honest story. And then this craziness is unfolding around the studio. Um, but a bit of time went by after that before finding out. And how I found out was that I, had, I was maybe like eight months pregnant at this time. And I took my daughter to one of those indoor playgrounds where there are little slides and carpeted areas that they can play. And this was like, I think, before I even had email on my phone. So this is a long time ago. And I'm kind of resistant to new technology. So I get home. And I'm always so disorganized. I never had sent my publisher a lyric sheet of this song. Like, you know, I never had emailed them lyrics. So it's a woman who is, I'm so appreciative of getting like so many opportunities for me named Katie Wolliver, um, who's now working with a different publisher. But she emailed me and she said, Brittany's cutting the song right now. We're not sure of the lyric, but I've transcribed it. And is this what it is? I have never typed out an actual lyric faster in my entire life and I couldn't believe that while I was having this glorious time with my daughter playing in Amy's playground in Pasadena this decision is getting made this session is starting to happen and they don't have oh a Katie had done a really good job but I am terrible at enunciating so a lot of the lines were wrong or the opposite of what I said so I sent them a correct version but there's still I think one thing on there that was mistakenly recorded that's actually different um this is exclusive this is an exclusive supposed to go um up till now I thought I knew love it's nothing but losing and damage cause but she sang it's nothing to lose and it's just such a small thing i don't know if you remember that part of the song it's like one of the verses nothing about you is typical 
But um, it doesn't really make that much of a difference, but it goes to show you that if you really want your accurate lyrics to be out there, be organized. Cassia, thank you so much for being our guest again on the Original Doll podcast. Thank you so much, James. Thank you for all you do for your listeners and subscribers and for all the, all of your charitable efforts, too. You're just wonderful. And thank you so much for my lovely gift. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Thank you for the gift of music. Oh. <laughs> Thank you. Fans of Femme Fatale, I wanted to let you know some great news. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be releasing episodes in which I talked to several songwriters from the Femme Fatale era. Some of them had music that made it to the album, some did not. Some had both. So make sure you subscribe so that you can get the episodes right away. As soon as they get uploaded, they get sent out and notified to people. So some of you may find out sooner than others. Be on the lookout for it. So if you have friends that love Femme Fatale, if you want to give me some feedback, reach out to me on Instagram, the.original.dal, or on Twitter, at James Rodriguez, R-O-D-R-I-G-U-E-Z. Don't forget patreon.com slash theoriginaldal. I have different tiers for you so that you can subscribe monthly and get exclusive content unavailable on this podcast. I've been sharing some more thoughts and some more uh, items that were cut from the podcasts. So be on the lookout for that. Once again, this is James Rodriguez Horton. See you on the flip side. Don't you want my iconography? Don't you want to stay and then follow me? Don't you want to aim for the stars you see? Don't you want my iconography?